Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Hey, Jubilee family, I am honored to engage the Bible with you today, whether you are online or you're at one of our in-person locations. Thank you so much for being with us today. Last week, we started just a a two-part series titled Blueprint for Mission. As we anticipate the end of summer, as we anticipate the beginning of fall, the beginning of school, we're in this transition period. It's a great time for us to reflect upon the mission that Jesus has given us, that we are uh, meant to be a people on a mission. In part one, we talked about how every disciple of Jesus is on mission, uh, does have a mission, which is to deliver a message, but we must have the right motivation. We all have a mission, which is to say that we have been sent, that you and I are to live sent, that we are to be a sent community, uh, an apostolic community, a missionary community, understanding that to be a disciple is to follow Jesus into his mission, not necessarily trying to get Jesus into ours, not simply seeking for Jesus to be involved in our life, but us being involved in his. Most people just want Jesus to be involved in their life, not really understanding that they're called to be sent, which is way better, by the way. It's way better uh, for us to have the life of Jesus uh, than the other way around. I mean, have you ever been in a restaurant with a, you know, a friend or a spouse and, and like you liked what they ordered better? Um, with Rach, like it, it feels like 80, 90% of the time, I'm, I always like, like what she has better. So much so that I, I finally just, whenever we go out, I'm just like, okay, I'll have whatever she's having. To be a Christian is to not look at the menu, but to simply, of choices, but simply to say, you know, I'll have what he's having. I want his life. I, I'll go where he's going. I want what he has. I, w- I want to be with him. And, and that's what it means to, to be him, just to follow him uh, wherever he goes, uh, whenever he does it, to be on mission with him. And to be on mission with him means to deliver a message, a message of the gospel, which is not simply good advice on how to be a better person, but it is good news, good news of a historical life changing event that we all must respond to. The the eternal God, the uh, the timeless God entered our time space world and uh, he lived a life that we should have lived and he died a death that we should have died and he rose to new life, changing everything, defeating our greatest enemies of Satan, sin and death. And because he rose victoriously over his enemies, we are free from sin. We are free from shame. We are free from death. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we have a a mission, which is to deliver a message, but the motivation is everything. We read last week in Luke 10, the disciples were all impressed with themselves because they were successful. Jesus affirmed what they were doing, but he said, I don't like why you're doing it. Uh, In Luke 10, 20, he says, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If our motivation is anything other than grace-based acceptance and relationship with Jesus, we will feel attacked when our message is under attack. We will want to go on the attack because it's the, our success is our sense of identity. It's what happened to the disciples. Uh, we read in, in Luke 9, uh, this is verse 53, it says, but the people did not receive him, so they didn't receive the message of Jesus, 
And when his disciples and James and John saw it, that is, they saw that the message was getting rejected, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? There are a lot of people who are afraid of Christianity because this is what they see Christians doing. They see Christians attacking other people. And we gotta be honest, Christians do do that. They go on the attack, they get angry, they, they even oppress and, and commit violence because uh, the message comes under attack. And the reason why uh, they go on the attack is because it's not just that the, the message is going on attack. When you attack the message, they, we feel under attack. And so they have a good point. People who are afraid of Christians saying, you must believe this message, they have a good point, but they just don't have a good solution because their solution is, well, you shouldn't try to convert anyone. But we learned last week that telling people not to convert someone is an attempt to convert someone. In other words, if that's what you do, you're doing the exact same thing that you're telling the Christian they must never do, which is to win people to your worldview. So that's not a good solution, but we still have to do something with the anger, the oppression, and the violence that we see um, Christians and other people who make exclusive religious claims commit. Well, what does Jesus do when he sees his disciples go on the attack when the message is when the message is attacked. This is what he says. He turned to them, that is, he turned to the disciples and he rebukes them. Jesus rebukes the man or the woman who goes on the attack when people attack our message. So the solution, therefore, is not to rejoice when, you know, that the demons submit to us that, you know, we do have the truth and, and uh, we do have this message where, or that we do have success in the message, but but that our names are written in the book of life. In other words, to have an identity that can never come under attack. So what gives my sense of joy, what gives my sense of peace, isn't that people believe my message. It's that, man, I am accepted and loved by the Father because of what Jesus has done for us. So we have a mission, which is to deliver a message. But man, the motivation is everything. And today we are going to look at the methods that Jesus gives us in this mission that we have. So I'm just going to give some practical tips that Jesus goes through and, and then we'll close. So one of the methods, uh, the methods of, of our mission that must be central in all things, he mentions it here in, in Matthew 9, this section. He mentions it in Luke 10. He mentions it in Mark 6, which is again a, a third parallel passage to this. And it's really all throughout the Bible. And that is prayer. Prayer must be central in our mission. He says in, in Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, so we've, there's a mission to be had. People need to engage the mission and they need to deliver this message. So we need to pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the primary response to Jesus of a harassed and helpless world is this need to pray that we, you and I must give ourselves to prayer. This is what Jesus says. When he looked at the mission, the, the primary response is like, man, we have got to pray. And that's what you and I do. So, um, if you have that blessed card, if you're one in our physical locations, you'll see a blessed card. If, if you're new to Jubilee, you're online or whatever, uh, if you would like to see one of our blessed cards, we'd love to send you one of those. Bless is just an acronym for how we uh, engage people with the gospel. Bless, begin with prayer, listen, eat, that is to do hospitality, serve. And then finally, 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 after all of those things, uh, we want to find appropriate times where we can actually tell people what God has done. But that very first one, you notice, is to begin with 
prayer. Prayer does a few things. Number one, it softens your heart toward people. It's hard to pray for someone and not fall in love with them. It's hard to pray for someone, not like love them and care for them. Uh, I mean, have you ever tried to pray for someone you're mad at? I mean, it's just impossible. You either don't pray for them or you begin, your heart begins to soften for them. Jesus said, pray for your enemies, perhaps so that you wouldn't have any enemies. Prayer softens your heart toward people. Number two, it highlights next steps. Sometimes when I walk through a neighborhood, God will show me, hey, I want, there's this house, this household, or this person, or I'll pray for a person to help me discern how to talk to them, especially uh, in getting through an objection they may have. And number three, it has the power to break down barriers. And this is so huge. Um, so often I do three things. There are three ways that I pray that God would break down barriers. Number one, I ask the Father to draw them to Jesus. John 6, 44 says, no one can come to the Father. No one can come to me, excuse me, unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we need to pray. Hey, God, draw them in. This is what God does. God, we can't change hearts. God does. So I pray that way. Secondly, I pray that God gives them the eyes to see. They, that God gives them the eyes to see. Second Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Christ, uh, Jesus isn't someone that we discover. Jesus is something that's revealed to us. We don't discover Jesus. We, it's re, he is revealed to us. We, we are blinded. And so I pray, God, will you, will, you, uh, will you allow them to see? Will you bind the enemy who is blinding the eyes of my friend? And then finally, pray that God would open a door to share. So I often say, God, give me an open door. That's what, how Paul prayed in Colossians 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word to declare, that is the message, to declare the mystery of Christ on which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So we want to pray that God would open a door. I often pray that God open a door. Like, man, I, I keep trying with this neighbor. I keep trying with this coworker, and I just seem, can't get, the th get through. And prayer has a way to put power in there. And that's what prayer does. God, prayer unlocks God's power. Oftentimes he would say, ask anything in my name and I will do it. So we do. And he does without prayer. Nothing, nothing eternal will happen. It's how the resource of God, how the source of God becomes our resource. I, um, I think I've shared this example before, but I remember a few years back at, at Thanksgiving, uh, Rach comes up to me and is like, hey, you know, would you, could you help out with the food? And, you know, can you grill? And, and uh, can you grill salmon? Now, a little bit of backstory. Uh, man, I, I do an amazing job at cooking salmon. I mean, it's like, it's, it's really great. And so when she came up to me, she's like, hey, could you like be like the superhero today and be the talk of the town with your salmon? I was like, yeah, I, I think I can do that. I think I can handle that. So I, so I started making the salmon. I, I put it on the grill and Everything's going great. You know, I have one of those little um, uh, mobile thermometers. So I'm, I'm watching the game, of course. It's Thanksgiving, you know. And so I'm watching, I'm watching the game, and I got one eye on the game, got one eye on the temperature. And all of a sudden, I notice that the temperature is going down. Now, if you've never cooked before, temperature going down is not a good thing. And you want the temperature to go up. And so the temperature goes down and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's the problem? And I go in the other room and like, you know, hey, you know, I couldn't figure it out. Like the, the I, well, what I noticed is that the grill had gone from a flame to like this, you know, just like a little blue mark. It was just barely coming out. And, you know, I'm supposed to be the hero today. We have all the salmon. It's expensive. It's going to go bad. We're not going to have food. 
And I get into like this whisper argument with my wife. You ever have one of those? Like, you know, you, you, no one can really see what you're doing except, you know, your hands are moving around. And like, I didn't want anyone to see. And she's asking me like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And anyway, so I, what, what happened? I, I called my neighbor, Mike. And I don't know if you have a, a guy like my neighbor, Mike, but neighbor Mike can fix anything. He has every tool and he can fix anything. So I, I get him over. And what had happened? I had plenty of propane. I had plenty of source. Um, but the problem is there's this little thing along uh, the gas line called a regulator that was broken. And if that thing isn't working right, if that thing isn't functioning, it doesn't matter how much source you have, your source will never become a resource if that thing isn't working. That's what prayer is. Prayer is that regulator. Prayer is that thing that takes the, res- the source of God and makes it our resource. And if we're not praying as a church, nothing eternal, nothing ultimately that's going to matter is it's going to happen. I mean, we can do good things and we can have community. We can have services we can do all kinds of things. But man, if we don't gather to prayer, if we don't pray individually and as a community, then nothing of eternal value is going to happen. And we need to, we need to gather together to prayer because that's how God's prayer kicks in. He, we have this all powerful God who can do everything, but he wants to, he wants to send his power through us. And the way that it becomes our resource is we're given to prayer. I want to encourage you as an individual, be given to prayer. But also, we need to come together as a community. You'll notice that Jesus sent them out two by two. In fact, this is a big theme in the Bible. In fact, here's a little Bible trivia. Jesus never sent his disciples to go do something alone. Every time he sent them to do anything, he sent them in community. I mean, He didn't even send them to get a donkey by themselves. He sent them as a group to go get a donkey. In this mission that we have, there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We do it in community. And so we have this corporate mission, this communal mission. And so we come together and pray together. So I want to invite you this week. all this week, every single day, in every location, in every physical location, uh, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m., we are going to gather to pray for like 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Bring your kids. They're welcome. They can be in the room with this. They'll have a good time. We'll have you know, activity bags or coloring books or, or something for them, but they can also pray. There'll be resources for you and for them if they would like to pray. If you're new to prayer, uh, some of these resources are just gonna have like example prayers. So if you don't even know what to say, you could just pray these prayers. And uh, we'll, we'll have themes for each night and be directive and it'll go by so quick and it'll be so powerful and so needed. And it's so important that you do that. In fact, I, I, want, you to under, I want you to realize something, that the thing in your life that comes under the most attack is your prayer life. I mean, I've been leading this church for 16 years and we can gather people to all kinds of things. I mean, Sunday morning, community groups, uh, I mean, to come and serve, to clean toilets, do all kinds of stuff. But gathering people to prayer is one of the hardest things because our flesh resists it and we have an enemy who really, really does not want us to pray because it is powerful. Uh, the prayer of a righteous man or a woman availeth much. There's a little King James for you. Availeth much. Does a lot of good. And there's going to be a lot of things. It's not God's voice telling you not to come. 
it's the enemy's voice. Don't listen to that voice. Come gather. In fact, if you're like, if you're online right now and, and you haven't come to anything in person, I want you to know this is a perfect thing to come in person to because there will be space and you'll feel great being here. We would advise, we would encourage you to come. It will be streamed because we realize not everyone can make every night. So we will gather at 6 p.m. because that's usually when we have dinner. Oh, by the way, we're fasting. Uh, that starts Sunday. And then we'll end on Saturday at 9 a.m. and we'll have a prayer meeting and we'll just have a good time of celebration. You should come. So prayer is essential. That's a big one. Secondly, compassion. Pr- prayer is essential and so is compassion. I mean, what is Jesus's primary response to the world. It is compassion. He has anger, he has grief, he has all those things, but his default mode is compassion. One of the obvious examples of this is that he refers to us as sheep. Sheep are the most clueless of animals, always going in the wrong direction, always getting lost. All of their problems are self-inflicted. They are destructively foolish, but you can't hate sheep. I mean, you can laugh at them and you may not trust them, but you can't hate them. And Jesus doesn't hate people. He has compassion for them. Uh, his, his posture to them is not one of condemnation, but compassion. In fact, even in the passage that we read last week in Luke 10, 13, 14, which by the way is a parallel passage to this, he says, woe to you, Corzine. Woe to you, you Bethsaida. This is not him saying, like he's, he is not cursing here. That, that term woe is not an expression of condemnation, but compassion. It's not a curse, but it's a cry. It's empathy. It's distress. He's like, I can't believe this is happening to you. He, there's emotional engagement, not detachment, emotional engagement, which means that in our posture, in our posture of compassion that we are in servant mode, not condemnation mode. So we are motivated by compassion, which means our tone and how we communicate the message is one of compassion. So we are absolutely unapologetic about the truth. We talked about that last week. We'll talk a little bit about it more again here in a bit. I mean, in fact, he says like, if you go to town and they they don't receive you, shake off the dust, which is like, man, you, you move on. So we are unapologetic about people calling people to repent, including the consequences of not repenting. But our tone in our message, so we're unapologetic, unapologetic about the t- truth, but our tone is one of service and com- compassion, uh, loving people, serving them, calling people to faith and loving them when they're hurting. Some people like to get involved but refuse to hold their ground in the truth. Some people like the truth but they don't like to get involved. True disciples of Jesus want to do both. Now, the reality is you're probably not very good at both, but you should want to do both and certainly appreciate the need for both. And I say that because we tend to, in America, follow our preferences. So if you're a truth person, you wanna be a part of a truth church. If you're a compassion person, you wanna be a part of a compassion church. And in the gospel, in this mission that we have, we need to value and love both. It's hard to hold this balance, but we must. Secondly, or thirdly, I should say, there's strategy. I mean, there's this call to go everywhere, you know, we, we, you know go in all the world, make disciples, but yet, notice Jesus narrows the focus. In verse five, he says, go to Israel first. He says, ignore the Gentile towns. Uh, ignore the Samaritan towns. Of course, uh, you know, eventually we, you know, the, the gospel gets to Gentiles. You know, it gets to Samaritans. It gets to the ends of the earth. That's why you and I are here. You and I are Gentiles. That's, so we're a part of it. But it goes broader lately. The point is that Jesus gives them strategy and strategy is okay. People in the church sometimes get all bent out of shape. That's their strategy. Verse eleven, thirteen. 13, Jesus encouraged them to look for a home 
um, where there's receptivity. So look for a person of grace. In other words, like if your message isn't working, move on. In fact, he says that. If the message isn't working, move on. I mean, it's just really practical. Uh, look for a person of grace. Look for low-hanging fruit. Look for someone who could be a bridge in the community. You, you get that person, and then that'll get you a bridge into many more people. It's okay to be strategic. Someone doesn't receive you, leave. Sometimes in our attempt to be spiritual, we, we fall up, you know, we, we get confused that it means to be mystical. The, you know, the opposite of faith isn't strategy. The opposite of faith or I'll say it this way, faith is not opposed to knowledge, it's not opposed to good information, it's opposed to sight. Being strategic is not anti-spiritual. Jesus was strategic. strategic. And later on, he would talk about, like, man, he would, he would um, praise shrewdness, like being like, really clever, you know, innocent, innocent as, as uh, lambs, but man, wise as serpents, strategic, shrewd. Uh, another point here that we see here is that uh, more maturity leads to more mission. In verse 13, 15, it says that Sodom and Gomorrah are less responsible because they've heard the gospel, or, or they haven't heard the gospel as much. And the more that we hear the gospel, the more responsible that we are for the gospel. Jesus says in Luke uh, 12, 48, much is given, much is required. I mean, right now, do you know what I'm doing to you? I mean, you're hearing one more sermon. You are that much more responsible because you have that information if we don't act on it. So if you have a good life, you have good possessions, you have something to offer, the point isn't the glory in what you have. The point is that you have that so that you can give it away and use it to help other people. Life isn't about what you have. Life is about what you do with what you have, which should, which should challenge those who have much and should encourage those who have little. So it leads to... More maturity means more mission. In persecution, he gives some advice on persecution. He said that we should have great courage, but also to be gentle. So we should be super bold in our mission, but we should also paradoxically be gentle. To be a lamb and never a wolf. So we are sheep among wolves. We're never a wolf among wolves. We're always a sheep. We're always gentle. The minute you become a wolf. The moment you become on the attack and a condemner, you, you lose the plot. You lose the message of grace. So we want to be gentle. So when we handle persecution, one of the ways that we handle persecution is that we are gentle and we take it on the chin. But he also says, don't be unnecessarily offensive. Be wise as serpents. Uh, in fact, he says like, you know, if you're experiencing persecution, leave. He says that in verse uh, 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next town. Don't stay there. Uh, you know, sometimes Christians have like this martyr complex. Like, you know, like I need to, you know, like if I'm offensive, I'm really being a Christian. But notice, but notice what he says in verse 22. He says that all men will hate you because of me. In other words, make sure they hate you because of me, not because of you. It, you, you can be an obnoxious Christian and that's not persecution. That's just not being wise. If you are pounding, the, you know, telling the truth, telling the truth, telling the truth, and people are like come pushing back on that, Jesus says, move on to the next person. Move on to the next house. Go some, do something different. Don't keep doing that. That is not what Jesus is asking you to do. Jesus is not asking you to be obnoxious or weird. 
He's asking you to be gentle with people and he's asking you to be wise. And he's asking you, hey, look, if it's not working, move on. Don't, there's, no, there's no sense in uh, taking on this uh, merit because people are coming against you. Top three things that Christians do that non-Christians despise. Number one, they judge. Instead of preaching the gospel, we, you know, we zero in on condemning sexual habits, lifestyle, political views. Number, number two, uh, hypocritical. Magnifying the sins of other people, minimizing your own sin. Jesus tossed you to the opposite. He says, look at, what your, look at what someone else does as a speck in their eye and look at what you do as a plank in yours. So we should be the very opposite of what it means to be hip, hip, hypocritical. Quick fix to that, accelerate your walk, humble your talk. Accelerate how you live, grow in holiness, humble how you talk with other people. And number three, just being unloving and stingy. I mean, I was, I mean as an example, I was in the, uh, a server for five years and Christians are notoriously bad tippers. And it's just an unloving thing to do. Um, I mean, if you're trying to express the love of Jesus, which often would, you know, they'd leave a track or whatever, you know, and, but they would, they would be unloving by leaving a bad tip. I mean, if you're, if you're gonna leave a bad tip, don't say you're a Christian. I mean, say like you're a Cubs fan or something. Like do something like, don't, it, don't do that. Don't give, away, give of yourself, which includes your money. Be a good tipper, be a loving person. Now, not everyone will hate you, but if, if you track with Jesus, you're going to experience some pushback. I mean, he said, hey, I took it on the chin. You're going to take it on the chin. We will be persecuted. We will receive pushback. So how do we get the power to do all this? Well, in verse 20, he says this. He says, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So here's the confidence that we get. The confidence that we get is Jesus is with us by the power of the Spirit. He made that claim over and over again in the Gospels. You know, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. If I'm going to send another who's just like me, he's going to be there to comfort you, remind you of my words, and he's going to move through you in power. In fact, he said that in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is God. It is the power of the Spirit working through us is how we can have the confidence to move out, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of pushback, that we know that God is with us and that God is ultimately going to make his appeal through us. And that's where we get our confidence. It's not in ourselves. Our, our, our hope isn't that we can be good enough or that we can be persuasive enough. It is the fact that God himself is working in us and through us, even helping us know what to say, and of course, bringing the power in the message. So here's what we need to do. My brothers and sisters, I wanna end this way, wherever you're at, in one of our locations, you know, or online, whatever. I just wanna pray for us that we would know the power of the Spirit. In fact, I'm gonna ask the Spirit to come upon us that we would feel His nearness so that we can move out in power. A lot of practical things we can do. We need to do bless with people. We need to go through the practicals, but we need the Spirit. The Spirit is what gives us power to go out in mission. So let me pray and then we'll close. Father, I just thank you. Thank you that you've not left us alone. You have given your Spirit uh, to live inside of us and it's your power working 
through us. Lord, what a privilege to be included in your plan. That you, you know, who is man that you've thought of us, that you've made us uniquely us. You've made us uniquely us to go out and to serve other people, to be a part of telling people the greatest message that is ever the best news that there's ever been, that we are lost and alone, but you have come to save us from our greatest enemies. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And now we just pray. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that everyone watching this right now would feel the Holy Spirit coming upon them, Lord, that we would know your love, that we would know your love, that we would be so confident in your love. You said that. You said that, that, that the, the sparrows, that you take care of the sparrows. You know the, the hairs on our head. Lord, we believe that and trust that. And we just pray, Lord God, that you give us the Holy Spirit, that we'd move out in power. In your name, amen. God bless you guys.